1: influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at Forum.com. Welcome
2: to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. There are so many reasons to shop online. Convenience, easy comparison, shopping, no sales tax. But that last reason may no longer apply if the Supreme Court decides to allow state and local governments to collect billions of dollars in sales taxes from online retailers. The justices have decided to revisit a 26-year-old ruling that has made much of the Internet a tax-free zone for shoppers. My guests are Richard Pump, professor at the University of Connecticut Law School, and Edward. Zelinsky, professor at Cardozo School of Law. Richard, tell us about the South Dakota law, which was passed with the purpose of setting up this test case.
3: That's right, June. As you mentioned, um, 26 years ago, the Supreme Court uh, issued a case that said you cannot make a remote vendor collect the sales tax unless they have a physical state. The South uh, South Dakota legislation was a frontal attack on that rule. And just to correct one possible misinterpretation, um, consumers owe the sales tax. We call it a use tax. They already owe that tax. So the issue is whether the remote vendors should have to collect it and make it easy on the consumers who not normally uh, tax. Richard,
2: we're going to try to reestablish our connection with you there. Um, Edward, so tell us about how South Dakota went about to pass a law just for this reason so they could test it before the Supreme Court.
4: Well, what the South Dakota legislature did was openly accept Justice Kennedy's invitation to pass a law And so they declared that sales tax must be collected, and my colleague, uh, Professor Pomp, a good friend, is correct. Everyone owes the tax. The question is, how is it collected? Uh, And so what South Dakota declared was that any firm that made a certain number of sales... 200 separate transactions or $100,000 worth of merchandise in the current or prior year had to start collecting the sales tax. South Dakota knew that that was going to be challenged. It was challenged by a number of firms, Wayfair Furniture, is the lead plaintiff. The case went up to the South Dakota Supreme Court. The South Dakota Supreme Court said we have to follow the 1992 decision of the United States Supreme Court. South Dakota asked the United States Supreme Court to review and much to my surprise and the surprise of many others, the court last week agreed to hear the Wayfair case from South Dakota.
2: Why surprise? Three of the justices, Anthony Kennedy, Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, have expressed doubts about that Supreme Court case, and 35 other states are supporting South Dakota. Why are you surprised that the Supreme Court decided to take this up?
4: I'm surprised for two reasons. First of all, it takes four justices to Uh, agree to a grant of certiorari. So that means that at least one other justice chose to come on board. And it was interesting, they could have chosen to support Justice Kennedy when he made his comments. In the earlier case, they didn't. So there's at least one justice who, having thought about this additionally, has now at least expressed an openness to it. The second and very important point is that the court has reiterated that these types of issues, which can be adjusted by Congress, ought to be resolved politically. And I think most of us agree that it would be better for Congress to pass some legislation. So if the court had chosen not to hear the Wayfair case, it would simply have been saying, let's let this continue in the political form of Congress. and there is. Some Certainly, the possibility, although I think it's the less likely possibility, there is the possibility that that's ultimately what five justices are going to say that we stand by the 1992 decision, and if this is going to be fought out, let it be fought out in Congress.
2: And Edward, you think it's the less likely possibility because normally taking a case like this is a kind of signal that the justices may be ready to reverse themselves?
4: Well, I. Uh, I am no longer a betting man when it comes to predicting the Supreme Court, because they've surprised me enough times. But I would have to say that if I were to place a bet, the bet is that there are at least four justices who are prepared to look at this case again. And that means they've only got to bring over one more colleague to form a majority. Now...
2: Online retailers Wayfair, Overstock.com, and Newegg are opposing this. What is their argument? Are they relying on the old law or do they have something new going on?
4: I think they're basically saying that this ought to be dealt with politically, that there can be negotiations in Congress. The problem, of course, with that argument is that the industry has spent the last 25 years blocking successfully legislative efforts. So my own view is that, that argument is not very persuasive. Uh, if, in fact, the Internet sales industry had come forward and said at an earlier time yes, let's cooperate and let's come up with reasonable legislation, then I would take their arguments more credibly. But at this point, I don't.
2: Richard is back with us. Richard, which side has the better argument in this case?
3: Well, I think the, uh, the states have the better argument. Uh, Quill was an intellectually bankrupt and dishonest case, even when it was first issued in 1992. And it has been so overtaken by uh, uh, technological developments that many of the arguments that were made in 1992 hold no weight whatsoever today. So,
2: So, Richard... Smaller online retailers are saying that they're disadvantaged because they have to deal with, not with this, um, dozens of state sales tax systems and they don't have the kind of organization that, let's say, an Amazon or a Wayfair does. What does this do to the small line, small online retailers?
3: Well there there may be some merit to that argument uh and that's the beauty of state legislation that provides a pretty high exemption so if you have um, sales that are less than a certain amount, in South Dakota it was 100000 but you might be more generous and say if your sales are less than 500000 you do not have to comply with uh, the requirement to collect sales tax. So there's ways of dealing with that. Uh, but even for small vendors, there's technology that's now uh, available, software that makes it a lot easier to collect the sales tax.
2: Edward, about... 30 seconds here. Is it surprising? It may be surprising to many people that Amazon is not involved in this case directly.
4: Well, well I think it's not surprising because Amazon, in a funny way, has switched sides, at least in part, in the last uh, several years. With all of their distribution centers, they now have physical presence, and so they are starting to collect sales tax. I live in Connecticut, as does Professor Pomp, and we pay sales tax on our Amazon purchases because they have a physical presence. So while their business model at one time was very much a tax-free model, it isn't today.
2: Richard, how many states rely on sales tax in the main and don't have income taxes?
3: Um, Well, you have about maybe six or seven states without an income tax. Not all of them have sales taxes. New Hampshire, for example, has no broad-based income tax or sales tax. But if you don't have an income tax like a, a Texas or a Florida, you're going to work your sales tax very hard. And so this is a, a big issue for those kinds of
4: states.
2: And, Edward, how much money are we talking here? How, how much would come to the states or the local, localities if the Supreme Court throws out quill?
4: Well, there are as many views of that as there are economists who studied it, but I think it's clear that there are billions of dollars, and it includes, for example, a state like Connecticut, which does have an income tax, but is also very dependent on its sales tax as well. So
2: let's say that the Supreme Court decides to do away with Quill. Richard, what will be the immediate will we see an immediate response online will will people right away be charged sales tax
3: well that is certainly possible we could see uh... this is the the uh... this is the unknown we could see congress reacting to the supreme court by adopting federal legislation uh... that would deal with some of the issues that the court is not very well equipped to deal with so it's possible, uh, although given you know the, the current state of, of Congress, maybe not likely, uh, but Congress has just delivered a, a bad blow to the states by capping the deduction for state and local uh, taxes, particularly hard on New York and Connecticut, New Jersey, Illinois, California. Uh, an argument could be made that Congress now owes the state something, uh, and if were to be overturned, Congress might uh, well feel that it should now deal with all the details that the court is poorly equipped to deal with and, and pass some kind of statute that takes into account uh, low sales uh, vendors, the kind you uh, discussed before, and the issue of whether the case is going to be retroactive or not.
2: Well, we will certainly see whether that's going to happen or not. I'm not Edward, I'm not going to ask you whether you would bet on that or not. Thank you both for being here. That's Richard Pomp, professor at the University of Connecticut Law School and Edward Zelinsky, professor at Cardozo School of Law. Well, the Supreme Court is in session, hearing arguments and making decisions, although nothing came out today. But, Greg, the te- the digital tech joining me is Bloomberg's Supreme Court reporter, Greg Storr. Greg, the tax case that the court decided to hear on Friday, how important is that?
0: Oh, June. That's uh, that. That's a huge case. <clears throat> the the uh, Supreme Court has a 26-year-old precedent that says that states cannot ta- cannot impose taxes, cannot require online uh, retailers to collect taxes unless they have a physical presence in the state. Uh, states have been, and -and brick-and-mortar retailers have been urging the court to overturn that precedent so that uh, those retailers can be required to collect taxes. Uh, Now the Supreme Court uh, is going to take that up, and it could mean uh, billions of dollars. There are differing estimates, but a huge amount of potential uh, money going into the state's coffers.
2: Let's talk about some of the other cases that the court has uh, decided to take or is considering. Uh, Let's talk about Texas getting a Supreme Court review View on voided voting districts sounds very, very confusing.
0: Yeah, this is a case that is uh, we've gone up and down the court system. Uh, it, it, essentially, what the court is is considering is a, a lower court, a, a, actually a district court, a three judge panel, which is how they do it in election cases. Uh, found that the state. That that the Republican map drawers intentionally discriminated on the basis of race in uh, drawing some some uh, state legislative and congressional districts, and the, the panel ordered those districts redrawn. Uh, the Supreme Court is going to hear arguments now. Texas basically argues that. The districts in these maps were ones that, in an earlier round of this litigation, uh, that district court actually approved as part of an interim map. So it's a little bit of a quirky uh, argument or a quirky issue that may not have broad applicability. But, of course, this is coming in a term where the Supreme Court has a couple um, big cases involving partisan gerrymandering, and so now this just adds a new wrinkle into the mix, and we're going to, one way or another, have uh, a huge uh, Supreme Court term in terms of what the rules are for uh, lawmakers when they're drawing the maps to determine uh, who, who votes in what district going forward.
2: So, Greg, there are all these cases involving gerrymandering. Now, this, are there any cases involving voter IDs? Because that has that has been coming up that a lot of the states still have very strict voter ID laws.
0: Yeah, so voter ID laws is the one thing we don't have this term. Uh, I think we've talked previously about the case uh, that the court heard last week involving uh, registration and and what states can do to uh, purge people from the voting list if they haven't uh, voted in a while and the state thinks that maybe they've moved. So you have a lot of other issues that will determine uh, very important voting rights questions. Voter ID, uh, there are certainly disputes out there and you could see the Supreme Court taking up a a, a case in the next term. Surely we'll get another voter ID case soon, but right now there's not one before the court.
2: And that Ohio case that you mentioned is very important because it determines when the states can can void and purge their voter rolls. And according to your story, it was a little bit of a surprise that Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer seemed to be on the side of the state of Ohio.
0: Yeah, you can, you know, people are, are, have read Justice Breyer's questions both ways, but at a minimum, his vote seemed to be in play as a possible vote that Ohio could get to uphold its system of purging people. You also had Justice Kennedy, who is so often the swing vote on the court, saying that, that, um, are suggesting that he was going to side with with Ohio. Uh, one of the wild cards in the case is that we didn't hear any questions at all from both Justice Thomas and Justice Gorsuch, who um, one might expect to be on Ohio's side, uh, given that this is sort of an ideologically divisive issue, but we didn't hear from either one of the two of them.
2: So let me ask you this broader question. Justice Thomas doesn't usually participate, so that's not a surprise. But was it a surprise that Justice Gorsuch didn't participate? in? Because I've read a lot about how he sometimes is very aggressive in his questioning and in getting into the questioning.
0: Yeah, it certainly was a surprise to me. Um, you know, he's still new enough on this court that, uh, you know, it's hard to say that, that uh, you know, he's sort of locked into any particular style of questioning. There are some cases where he is uh, more active than others. Uh, I, I believe I can think of one other I recall one other time where I didn't see him ask any questions. Um, It's hard to know what that means in this case. This is not a constitutional case. It's a statutory case. So one would expect him to be heavily focused on the wording of the statute. Um, It's at least possible um, that he uh, reads the statute differently than some of us might expect him to, uh, and it's really hard to say what his, his uh, lack of questioning uh, really means for, for how he's going to vote.
2: But we expect you to tell us anyway, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. As always, that's Greg Starr. He is Bloomberg News Supreme Court reporter, and he is there reporting that today there were no new orders. The judges did not issue any new orders, but certainly there were enough from the past. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. I'm June Grosso.
1: This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha,